Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, I didn't expect us to have to record a Rico this soon, but a huge, huge Thursday night for the New York Mets as shockingly, and I think I could use that word, shockingly, Brandon Nimmo is back. And what's funny is when I sat down on Thursday night, Pete Hoffman was on his way to Philadelphia for Army-Navy. I was thinking about Sunday's Rico Bronia, and I started compiling my list of backup plans for what to do in center field if Brandon Nimmo was gone. And I, I swear to you, I was I was orchestrating my plan. And I thought about, oh, God, Hoff's going to kill me when I bring up Aaron Hicks. He's going to say, come on, how could you even suggest him? What the hell is wrong with you? And then I was going through some other names. And then all of a sudden, I see a text message from the Mets text chat I'm in. And I see all I see is who the tweet is from. Like, I see I got a message, and I see a tweet from Joel Sherman. I'm like, uh-oh, what am I about to see? Probably some meaningless rumor, probably some attack on Jacob DeGrom because Jake doesn't give interviews to New York reporters and they're still bitter about it. And I click on it and I see the news. Eight years, 162. And I got excited. You know, I I paused away from the eight years and 162 and just saw New York Mets, Brandon Nimmo in agreement. And I have to admit that very much excited me. Uh, we talked about this the other day. I think this was starting to become an obvious thing for us. The Mets had to resign Brandon Nimmo. You know, we could nitpick how many dollars he should get and how good of a player he really is and how many years will he play center field before you got to shift him to a corner outfield position and all these other arguments or discussions or what he's worth or what he should get. But here was the reality I think we'd all agree on, and we don't all agree on anything together. I think we'd all agree that it was going to be almost impossible for the Mets to adequately replace Brandon Nimmo. Like the ideas I was thinking about and going through were all just, they were clunky, they were risky, and they weren't as good. I mean, bottom line. And look, Brandon Nimmo comes with concerns. Sure, everybody does. This past season, he went out and played just about every single game. He hasn't done that a lot in his career. You know, we examined that when we did the Brandon Nimmo podcast at the beginning of this offseason. So, you know, you go into any move eyes wide open, understanding the risks that are involved, but replacing Nimmo was going to be nearly impossible, not just this season, but next offseason. If you took a look at, well, who's a free agent center fielder next year? Who's a free agent center fielder the year after that? There's not a lot of great center fielders in baseball. And while Brandon's not a perfect player, He's become a very good defensive center fielder. Still plays a little bit too deep, but whatever. Doesn't have the greatest arm in the world, but a real solid defensive center fielder. He's an on-base machine. He also has been clutch for us. Let's admit that. I think most Met fans would admit, big spot. I keep thinking about that series against the Phillies, that amazing comeback against the Phillies. Just one example. Brandon Immo's a clutch player. 
And so bringing him back became a must. Now, as far as this contract's concerned, <laughs> I, could, I could not believe it when I saw eight years, 162. But when you think about it, it actually makes a lot of sense. We now live in a tax world, a world in which Steve Cohen is paying the Steve Cohen tax. And he has exceeded the Steve Cohen tax. He's probably going to exceed it a lot more. More on that in a little bit. And so it actually makes sense to say, you know what? We'll sign you to a contract that's even longer than you want so that we could spread the money out. So Brandon Nimmo, who I thought today, I even said this to Pete. I think I said it to you or I I may have said it to Lugie. I said, hey, I got a crazy idea. If you're going to give Brandon Nimmo $24 million a year, and that's the holdup, why not say F it and just give 35 to Carlos Correa? You know, like, okay. We got to invest so much money. Screw it. All right, Brandon, see you later. We're going to give 35 to Carlos Correa. Now, obviously that, that didn't happen, and that would have created some interesting dynamics. Correa would have to play third. You're moving Beatty to the outfield. You're basically probably moving McNeil to the outfield. You'd probably put together one of the world's worst defensive outfields. But it was going through my mind. Like, hey, if Nimmo's AAV is going to be that high, why not just spend a few extra million dollars and get a better player? but they kept his AAV low. And that's the key here. Because he signed to an eight-year contract at 162, he's only making, and only making, he's only making $20.25 million. And if at the beginning of this offseason, and I think we did this, we started trying to predict what a Nimmo contract would look like, that was the area we were in. Like, oh, he's going to get five years, $20 million a year. No, five years, 100 was... I think I predicted a little higher than that, if uh, memory serves correct. I think I was at like five or six for 120, whatever it is. We were between, well, we were between 120 and 130 for five to six. Is years. that where I was? Yeah, okay. somewhere between there. So you, you kind of nailed it AAV-wise. Yeah, but they, they basically said, screw it, we'll give you eight years. <laughs> Which, look, I remember saying this about DeGrom with the five-year deal. And obviously would judge on the Yankee side about a nine-year deal. When you sign a guy to a big free agent contract, I think you have to go into it thinking it's not going to be great for the full amount of years. You know, if you could get five really good years out of this contract, I think you take it as a win. I think that's the way you have to view it. And one good thing about Nimmo is Brandon Nimmo is not kind of relying on his speed. And so when you're not relying on your speed, it's not like that going away or diminishing as you get older is going to hurt you all that much. You know, like one of the big critiques of Nimmo last year is that he only stole three bases. Now, while he is a good base runner, he did have a bunch of triples last year. His skill set is not based on his speed. I think a lot of it is based on his incredible lot, based on his ability to draw walks, his ability to get on base. And that's not something that I think is going to diminish, you know, eight years into this contract. Brandon Nimmo is going to be 30 at the beginning of this contract. He turns 30 in March, so right before opening day. So you have him until he's 37 years old. I'm not telling you at 37, he's going to play 155 games, hit 270 and get on base 40% of the time. But he isn't like Reyes or Call Crawford or a guy who's, kind of relying on his speed. So yeah, eight years is a very long time. 
And I understand looking at this contract saying this is crazy. I get it. But I kind of like the idea that the AAV is very low because in theory that gives the Mets more room to spend a little bit more. And they don't have, when you look at the Mets and who is signed long-term, they've got Lindor signed for a million years. And now they have Brandon Nimmo. And that's really it. Like they don't have a lot of guys signed for very, very long. Edwin Diaz obviously just signed a four or five year contract, depending on options and whatnot. They have a club option on the sixth year. So really it's a five year deal. He's got a player option after the third year. However you want to look at the Diaz contract. Sure. He's got five years on it. Starling Marte has three years left on his deal. Um, Pete Alonzo and Jeff McNeil have two years left. Verlander, two years left. Scherzer, potentially two years left. Quintana, two years left. James McCann, two years left. Uh, Mark Canna, one year left. So you got a lot of guys coming off the books. So the only guys who are signed for a really, really long period of time for now is Francisco Lindor and Brandon Nemo. They're not locked in on a ton of long-term deals. So they do have flexibility moving forward. And the other thing about flexibility is Steve Cohen is showing us he don't give a rat's ass about his own tax because not only have they blown past that number, they're about 330 now. Every indication is that they are going hard after Cody Senga and that that is the apple of their eye whether it's Billy Epler oodling over him or oogling over him when he met the media the other day, or just every report in the world, the Mets want Kode Senga. And he's going to cost what? Between 15 and $20 million a year? And if they don't get him, it'd be Chris Bassett. But if re-signing Brandon Nimmo wasn't enough, as I saw the message Nimmo re-sign, fired off a couple of texts, I called my dad. And I had to whisper because my sons were sleeping. And I said, hey, Dad, I got news about Nemo. And he said, oh, based on how you sound, he's gone. I said, no, the kids are sleeping. He's come back. <laughs> and when I told him the contract, he had the same reaction. Like, damn, eight years. Yeah, eight years, two presidential terms for Brandon Nemo. But great, he's back. And they needed him. But after I get off the phone, I sit down. I said, let me relax a little bit. Let me see what's going on in this football game. Let me see how Hoff's doing. He's on his way to Philadelphia. I get the news that the guy I wanted, you wanted, we all wanted at the trade deadline, the man who he said, how do you not trade for him? The Phillies gave up a bag of balls for this guy. How come we couldn't get him? Well, now we got him. The New York Mets signed David Robertson to a one-year, $10 million contract. Now, David is going to be 38 years old, 39 years old, uh, in that range. He was really good last year. He was really good with Chicago. He was really good with Philadelphia. For the most part, pitched well in the postseason. Um, He's a little wild. That's my one knock on David Robertson. He will sometimes lose the strike zone, which will cause a groan at City Field when that happens. But he had a really good bounce-back season last year first closing in Chicago, and then doing a little bit of both with Philadelphia. It is a wonderful move bringing him in. First of all, it's a one-year deal. I know the risks of relievers. Is it possible at 38-39, David Robertson just completely falls apart? Absolutely, it's on the table. 
but he was encouraging even deep into the World Series. Like, he pitched into November, and he pitched well last year. And we know he can handle New York, obviously. We know he can handle closing duties, which here's why that matters, why him handling closing duties matter. Not that I'm waiting on an Edwin Diaz injury. No, because Buck showed you last year he's going to use Edwin Diaz in a very aggressive way, sometimes using him in the eighth inning, sometimes saying, hey, the better hitters are coming up here. I'm going to use him in the eighth inning. And then you end up using, in last year's case, Adam Adovino to go out and pitch the ninth. And for some guys, that may not be easy. For some guys, adjusting to then pitching the ninth inning may not be the simplest thing in the world. David Robertson, it ain't going to bother him. That's, a, that's something he's done throughout his career. So I like the fact that they were able, able to add him to this bullpen. And now their bullpen is starting to slowly come together. They have four locks for their bullpen. They have a bunch of guys who may battle for a spot. You got to factor in how they would use David Peterson or Tyler McGill. But the four locks now for this bullpen that they completely needed to rebuild because just about everybody was a free agent is you have Edwin Diaz as your closer. Great. You got David Robertson as your second best reliever. You've got Brooks Raleigh, who we talked about the other day. They acquired from Tampa Bay as a, not just a lefty specialist. He can get righties out too, but that's certainly his forte. You've got Drew Smith who will, without a doubt, be in this bullpen. And then for the sake of this, you have Zach Green, who they got in the Rule 5 draft, only because if he's not in the bullpen, he's back with the Yankees. So he's already got a leg up on making this team because he has to make this team. If he doesn't make this team, he's offered back to the Yankees organization. And you got a lot of other names. You got Steven Ridings, who they brought in, uh, Bryce Montes to Oka, Steven Nagosik, Tommy Hunter, Sean Reed Foley, Jeff Brigham. Uh, John Curtis, who's kind of like a rehabilitation project from a year ago. So they got a lot of other options. But as far as, hey, these guys will make up the bullpen assuming health, you got four locks now in Diaz, Robertson, Smith, and Raleigh. And I'm starting to get the impression that Tyler McGill is going to be a part of it too. Because the more the Mets add starting pitching, even depth guys, and remember they did add depth guys, and with Alicia Hernandez and even Joey Lucchese coming back, and they're signing a ton of starting pitchers. They bring in Jose Quintana. They're still talking to Trevor Williams, things like that. Maybe they view McGill as a reliever. But in one fine swoop, the New York Mets bring back Brandon Nemo, and they bolster their bullpen with David Robertson. A very eventful and aggressive Thursday night when I thought the winter meetings were over. I just thought it was done. And then the Mets said, no, 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 we're not done. Here's Brandon Nimmo. Here's David Robertson. They're not done offensively. And I know one of the big critiques, Hoff's had it, is, hey, they haven't gotten better. The Mets were always in a very tough spot going into this offseason because they went into an offseason with three really important key players as free agents. The best closer in baseball, maybe the best starting pitcher in baseball, and the second best outfielder available in free agency. All three guys are free agents. And let's not forget the rest of the bullpen, and let's not forget three-fifths of the pitching staff, of the starting pitching staff. So the Mets went into an offseason in which just maintaining was going to be really expensive. 
I remember Mike Puma wrote an article back during the summer in which he crunched the numbers, you know, hypotheticals on this is what it would cost to keep the team together. That was the guess. Now, there's been some changes, but a lot of similarities. Like, obviously, we thought about bringing Jake back, but they replaced him with a guy who's making a similar amount of money. So for the sake of this discussion, that didn't change, right? The the guy changed, and that sucks. And I'll give you some thoughts in a little bit on the Grom's press conference, which I did get to hear a little bit about. But Verlander instead of the Grom, bringing back Diaz, replacing Bassett or replacing Walker or just keeping those guys because that article is about keeping those guys, keeping Brandon Nimmo. Now, you want to keep all these guys because you love the New York Mets. What's it going to cost? And Puma's estimate was $330 million. That was his estimate. Well, guess what? That's where the Mets are at. And so I totally understand the view of, yeah, they're spending a lot of money, but guys, they're the same. I get that. Like, you're not wrong. But remember, they were dealing with big-time free agents of their own. And bringing them back was a win. Bringing Edwin Diaz back was a win. Bringing DeGrom back would have been a win. They didn't. They pivoted right to Verlander. Bringing Nimmo back, which is what happened today, a win. So it's not worth ripping the Mets for that. What, what choice did they have? Like, tell me the route where they weren't going to spend a crap load of money not to just maintain. How the hell was that going to happen? And if your point is, and I get it, it's not good enough. Yes, they've spent a lot. Yes, their payroll is 330, probably higher once Senga or Bassett signs, but that's not enough. Well, is the payroll going to be $400 million? I mean, I wouldn't mind if it was. None of us would, but that's not realistic. Now, I don't think they're done offensively now that Nimmo's back. I think they could add a fourth outfielder. I'm not saying it's bringing back Tyler Naquin necessarily, but a Tyler Naquin-like outfielder. I think they could add a right-handed DH because I do think they're going to trim off this roster, that they're going to find a taker for James McCann, that they're going to find a taker for Darren Ruff. I don't know if they're looking to trade Eduardo Escobar. I don't think I would. I don't think they're looking to trade Marcana. I don't think I would. They don't have a lot of outfield depth to be able to trade those guys. Like, it wouldn't be the smartest thing in the world. But I do think that offensively, they're going to add a few guys. Now, are they going to add the big bat that, some people want, I I don't know. You know, J.D. Martinez is very, very intriguing. And yeah, Steve Cohen is completely blown by this Steve Cohen tax. But is he going to blow by it more? Because he's going to blow by it more with Senga. Assuming they get Kodai Senga. If they don't get Kodai Senga, I assume they'll go back and try to re-sign Chris Bassett. That'd be my assumption. But either way, that's going to cost you... 15, 20, 25 million dollars, whatever it is, and figure they're going to add another bullpen arm. So, are they then going to be willing to add 15 million dollars a year for JD Martinez? Maybe it's seven million dollars a year for Trey Mancini. I don't know if that'd be enough for, for those that want a big bat. I'm not even suggesting he is a huge bat, but he would be a nice depth bat to add. But yeah, the Mets had to spend a lot of money just to maintain. I think I get it. Uh, that it's not worth complaining about, though. Like, as opposed to what letting everybody go. 
What are you laughing at over there, Hoff? You feel okay? You still upset? Listen, I, I feel good. I'm in Philly. I'm, I just walked in here, and I see all this news, and I'm bugging out. So I'm kind of just trying to regroup <laughs> here. And I'm getting excited. First of all, I, I, some things you just said, I think they do have to trade some people, first of all. I think, first of all, you look at this huge salary cap that they have right now, the salary they have. There's $20 million sitting there, and all I could think of, Freaking Brody Van Wagen and Robinson Cano. That's $40 million that's on the books because of him. You can't get rid of it, but I'm glad that we have an owner that's willing to eat that money and say, I don't care. But if that's the case, like, we may have to find relief. We have to find the way to trade James McCann because, again, we've decided he's useless on this team. We know other teams are interested in him, so we have to offload that. Even though it's only $10 million, that's $10 million. It's David Robinson. Um, I do think... You have to either unload Escobar, Carrasco, and or Canada. Those some sort of combo of those three guys that opens up a book for David Peterson, that opens up a book for, you know, Beatty playing third base or, you know, and, and McNeil playing the outfield or some something crazy because I think one thing we're missing here. You said it before that screw it. If we can't get Nimmo, let's just get Carlos Correa. How about this? Let's get calls Correa anyway. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. I mean, I, I, I not because I don't think the payroll is going to be four hundred million. It's, it's, but it's but it's not going to be. It's not going to be because you're going to trade away about twenty to thirty million dollars. Like, kind of not that worth, worth that much money, and Escobar's not worth that much. But I don't know. I don't know if it's as simple as that. Um, I do think that. They will look to trade James McCann, and there aren't enough good catchers in baseball, so I'm sure there will be a team. There already are teams that would be somewhat interested, but you may have to pick up part of that money, or you may have to take back some money from a player's contract who isn't as bad as James McCann's. Carrasco, I do. it does start to make sense that they would deal him, that they're loading up on the pitching that they like. David Peterson deserves a spot in this rotation. He really does, and you know, I'm not sure they're going to buy into my idea of a six-man rotation. So I do think that you could feed Carlos Carrasco to a pitching-hungry team on a one-year $15 million deal and get back a prospect, which is basically what you should be looking to do, try to replenish the farm system or add to the farm system, not replenish. I guess you're replenishing the fact that guys are graduating, that you have prospects that are no longer prospects. They're major leaguers. You know, Brett Beatty is hopefully going to be an everyday player on this team. Same thing with Francisco Alvarez. Ronnie Mauricio continues to put on a show in the Dominican Winter League. You know, at some point you say to yourself, hey, can he be an option? Uh, it, it's not going to be Correa, though. That was a pipe dream idea I had if they realized, you know what, we're not going to pay Brandon Nimmo. I think the ideas that make sense are the right-handed DH options. Preferably a guy who can play a position so that they have defensive versatility. J.D. Martinez doesn't necessarily have that. He also lost a lot of his power last year. So you wonder how much of him is left. Um, but I do think they're going to add some bats to this lineup. It's just not going to be the massive slugger that maybe people want. But right now, their focus is Senga. I mean, they are really eyeing Kode Senga to enhance this rotation. And that would be, look, I know that we haven't seen him pitch other than highlights or the World Baseball Classic. But it is a little, it's intoxicating to think about how good he can be. You know, what level of starting pitcher can he be? There's the risk he's not a good one. There's a risk he's a middle reliever by year two. I get that. 
But then there's also the reward that maybe he's you, Darvish. You know, maybe he's an elite level guy. And I'm willing to take the risk, especially with a rotation that already features Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Jose Quintana. We'll see about Carlos Carrasco. Uh, and we'll see who else fills out this rotation. But that's their their next focus. Nimmo is a must-have. Nimmo is a must-have because beyond just this year, beyond how do you fill center field this year, I was looking at the free agent class next year and the year after that, and there was nothing. Like, other than developing your own, and I think Ramirez is still a couple of years away, and I don't know if Mauricio becomes a center fielder necessarily, maybe a corner outfielder, or trading a bunch of prospects for Brian Reynolds, or taking a flyer on one of the Diamondback center fielders, there was no avenue of success in center field. Like, it's just not a long list of real good, talented center fielders. So eight years, 162 was just a risk you sort of had to take, not just for this year, but for beyond. But I'm I'm glad he's back. And I wonder also how much of this was Nimmo going to Boris saying, get me the best deal possible, I want to stay. Because for as much as people assumed that Grom didn't want to stay, there was always this belief that Brandon Nimmo loved it here and wanted to stay. And even though Scott Boris is a bottom line guy, he's going to get his players the top buck he can you listen to your guy, and it's very possible, I don't know if we'll ever know the truth here, that Brandon Nimmo went to, went to his agent and said, get me the best deal, but I want to stay. And thank you, Scott Boris, for not making us wait till February. Because Scott Boris is the king of wait, 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 wait. And I guess once Aaron Judge signed, it was easier to say, all right, this is the market. Let's just sign the best deal possible. And the Mets gave him the best deal possible. Now, I don't know if you were checking your Twitter at all, but you did see that someone tweeted about an hour ago. Brandon Emmo. Yes. So yes. he seems to be very pumped to be back, uh, unlike other people where we barely could get to have the media to speak to them. Uh, Nimmo came right to the fans and said, I'm here for you guys. Which, again, the one thing you have to remember is that even though Brandon Nimmo is not a Hall of Famer, no one's ever going to put there and be like, he, we got to retire his number. I mean, who, who knows? Maybe the next nine years, maybe you want to, or eight years, maybe you want to. But he is a fan favorite. Anybody I talk to, their kids love Brandon Nimmo. So it is. Yeah. He is a New York man. No doubt. And look, he, he may not be a Hall of Famer, but how many guys have we had who are homegrown, who have a 15-year career with only the New York Mets? It's a very short list. Brandon Nimmo was called up in 2016. So do the math. He's already been in the major leagues for six years, and he just signed an eight-year contract. He's a Met for 14 years. Like, think about how many Mets have done that. How many guys have done that? So, no, I I totally get that. My wife made a comment to me, um, not only about Durant after he demanded his trade, but obviously recently with DeGrom leaving. And she said, don't you think we should stop getting jerseys for the boys, my two sons? And I said, no, I get it. I totally understand it. You know, for two months, we think Kevin Durant's gone. Those were the jerseys of Jimmy Jet had Kevin Durant. Spence has a, everybody has a Kevin Durant jersey. He demands a trade. We're like, oh crap, what do we could do with these jerseys? We all have the Grom jerseys. He's obviously in Texas. But I, I jokingly said before I came up here to record with you, I said to my wife, Nimmo's safe now, honey. <laughs> If the boys like Brandon Nimmo, get the damn jerseys. 
I mean, he can't be any more safe. I got, I got a freaking eight year contract. Now nah, he's, he's a liked Met. He's a beloved Met. Everybody loves the, the running the first base when he gets hit by a pitch. Now I just want him to stay healthy for hopefully five of the eight years. Give us the production he gave us last year and be the engine of this offense. The Mets are able to run back this offense. And while that may sound bad to a lot of people, there are two reasons why that's actually good. Number one, they were a top five offense in baseball, so they weren't bad. And number two, you're adding high-octane bat prospects to this lineup and Alvarez and Beatty. That's what you're doing. You're adding them. The guys that we screamed for last year to be called up have a chance to be in the opening day lineup. They do especially if they have the attitude of Alvarez is the catcher, period, stop. He's going to learn how to catch. What better way to learn than catching Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer? Throw him right in there. Have him catch guys who are double his age. It's perfect. Like, you've added, even by accident, major offense to this team. I mean, think about think about the production Tomas Nito and James McCann had for the New York Mets. And then compare it to whatever Francisco Alvarez gives the Mets offensively. Even if Francisco Alvarez hit 238 with 17 home runs and 66 RBIs, that's still a lot better than the catching production the Mets got a year ago. So running it back may not be the worst thing in the world when you're able to add what you hope are going to be impact bats. Because look, I'll say this a lot before opening day. It's boring, but it's true. The Mets will go where the development takes them. Ask the Braves. That's how the Braves caught the Mets last year. Part of why they caught the Mets last year. Because Michael Harris got called up and was awesome. You need young players to contribute. So overall, great night. Nimmo's back. They add to the bullpen by signing David Robertson. Real quick on DeGrom. It's tough when you're on the other side. Very difficult when you're on the other side to hear DeGrom say, I came here because they have a vision to win. Now, the reason why you have to take a step back and say, well, I can't scream and yell too much. Max Scherzer said the same thing to us a year ago. Justin Verlander is going to say the same thing this year. And we like to say, well, but it's true. Well, we think it's true because the Mets are spending. So are the Rangers. They are. They added two elite shortstops last year, or guys they thought were elite shortstops. They go out and sign DeGrom. They're not done yet. They're going to add more guys. I'm not telling you they're going to win 95 games. I'm telling you that it's tough, even though I was, to be mad at Jake for lying when Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander say the same thing to us. Last year, when Scherzer came here and the Mets had won 78 games, did he really come here because I believe the Mets are trying to win? Look, I'm sure he thinks the Mets are trying to win, but he thinks the Mets are trying to win because they just paid him $42.5 million. That's what happened to Jake. Uh, so it's tough to hear, even though I, I, I get it. Look, it would be great if DeGrom would tell the truth, which is they offered me five years and my old team didn't even offer me anywhere close to that. Like That'd be great, but that's not, that's not what was going to happen. Most guys sign and they lie. And they say, ah, it's because I love this city. Ah, it's because I want to win. Look, Justin Verlander is the same thing. Why did Justin Verlander sign with the New York Mets? Sign with the New York Mets because they paid him a crap load of money. 
And one other thing. I'm not going to do this on the air. I'll do it here on the pot. I have numerous people reaching out to me claiming they know for a fact. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's all a rumor. But it's more than one person. And I don't know where they're getting this from. And maybe they're, maybe they're telling the truth. I don't know. But I have more than one person now reaching out to me to tell me that Max Scherzer hates Justin Verlander's guts. Okay? I just, I just want to get that out there. Because <laughs> now I've heard it from numerous randoms on Twitter. Like, you don't even know the worst of it, Ev. They hate each other's guts. Scherzer wants to punch him in the face. <laughs> yeah, but but hold on a second. Like, I'm not saying that there was that sort of cruelty in other people's, like, um, written material. But I've heard all along in Detroit they weren't, like, best of buddies. That they like, were that they like weren't. That they that were like or they weren't. Thing. Yeah, so like they were. Not, no, no, repeat that because I couldn't hear that they were what they they were not best of buddies. Like they right, were not. But it was, but Hoff, it, yes, but it was reported as a competitive kind of rivalry, not a hatred. Like there's a difference between they're not best buddies, which I've heard, we've all heard that they're competitive with each other. That's different than they hate each other's guts. <laughs> I I mean, look, here's the truth. It doesn't matter if they hate each other's guts. Like, let's be honest. You got 26 guys in a room. There are going to be some guys that hate each other's guts. I mean, look at WFAN. Boomer Esiason hates Brandon Tierney. It's obvious. You know, well, really, it's Brandon hates Boomer because of the sportsman. They, they can't stand each other. But that's okay. Like, the station works. We all know Craig hates Sal Licata. Like, that's a thing, right? But it works. So... It'll be interesting when the season starts to see how many camera shots we get of Max and Justin next to each other, if we get any of them. But it's just funny to me because I've gotten a few of those. They they hate each other. Scherzer's pissed at Verlander's here. (laughs) So so if we were to ever get a Papelbon-Harper situation on this New York Mets team, would it be Scherzer Verlander? Would it be Scherzer and Alvarez? Who you who would you take a spin at like of like the, that that situation coming down to with the New York Mets? Yeah, it would be one of the pitchers with Alvarez because they would get frustrated with something the twenty year old did and they choke him. No, I I have no idea. the The funny part about Verlander and Scherzer ever getting into a fist fight is that they are all time greats. You know, a part of what made the Piazza Clemens rivalry so cool is it wasn't just two baseball players. It was two Hall of Fame. I know Clemens isn't in it, but you know what I mean? Two Hall of Fame guys. So if Scherzer and Verlander ever got into a fist fight, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. You know, two all-time great pitchers. And we're going to do that pot at some point. We're going to really break down Verlander versus Scherzer all-time and try to kind of take our pick on who's the better all-time pitcher. I will say this much. If I have to go for who is more intimidating, Scherzer with the two-color eyes or Justin Verlander with that dimple on his chin, I might <laughs> lean towards Verlander. <laughs> oh, I go Scherzer. The two-color eyes got to freak you out. I mean, that's... that that's dimple. Just... That dimple is so deep. I've never seen one as deep as, as Justin Verlander. I heard that's what drew Kate Upton to him. It was all the dimple right there. That was it. 
Anyhow, uh, thank you for listening to uh, Instant Reaction, Emergency Rico Bronia. We've done a lot of pods this week, so I can't guarantee we're going to give you another one. <laughs> we may be done for the week. <laughs> we may have a little break to recharge, at least until they sign Kodak Sanka, which could happen in an hour. But again, Brandon Immo's back. David Robertson added to the bullpen. Any thoughts, questions, comments, feelings, you can email us at b at gmail.com. Check out Hoff with Tiki and Tini. They're going to be in Philadelphia on the Friday midday show. And Craig and I obviously on the fan at 2 o'clock. And I'll be back with Joe on Saturday at 10 a.m. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>